Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're talking some USC Trojan football. It's Stanford week, but we're going to recap a little bit more of what went on week one, USC versus the Fresno State Bulldogs. Uh, USC loses their starting quarterback, JT Daniels. We're going to talk about that. All news around the program. Answer all of your questions. If you have questions for us, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com is the email address, or if you'd rather call, leave us a voicemail. we got a bunch of those for you today, or you could even send us a text at this number, 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on any podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all of that. Uh, leave us some positive feedback. Five-star reviews are awesome. We do love getting the reviews from all you guys, some really funny ones out there. We've been doing this show. This is our 12th football season covering the Trojans here on the podcast. So we do appreciate you spending some time and listening and please share with your friends. You're at the football game. You're going out to the Coliseum. Like, Hey, have you listened to the Peristyle podcast? They're most likely going to say yes, but if not, then you'll let them know and they can start listening too. We're going to talk about the game. We're going to look a little bit forward to Stanford with uh, Keely Yor and Dan Weber. We got Keely Yor here in studio. What's up Keely? Hello. Hello. I'm doing well. Doing well. Uh, thanks for coming down and, uh, Sunny Redondo Beach, California. Sunny Redondo Beach, yeah. And uh, we got Dan Weber on the line. Hello, Dan. Hey, how you doing, Ryan? Can't uh. complain. <laughs> Was that just a question? I wasn't sure. That's usually never that short. We yeah, <laughs> we were all surprised by that. I've talked out from all the people who've been calling me about what the heck happened Saturday and what the heck does this mean for the rest of the year, which I'm guessing is going to be the theme of this show. Yeah. Well, for the behind the scenes, Ryan was having a little bit of a technical difficulty before we started podcasting, and Dan and I already did a pre-podcast when we weren't recording, so we're ready yeah. to go, Ryan. They're fired. They're fired up. They had a whole podcast. I should have been recording that as we were <laughs> talking. Um, just to let people know, uh, we are going to be doing our regular shows now. We have Harvey Hyde. We're going to have the Keely Yor, Dan Weber. If this is your first time listening, uh, we'll have multiple shows on this feed. We have the Family Feud podcast that'll be coming up. We'll have a preview podcast every week, so at least four podcasts a week, and then we do two Tunnel Vision shows uh, on Thursday night live, so if you want to like listen to what's going on live, you can do that, and also on Sunday night live, we had a really good one this past Sunday. Sometimes we'll put them up in the podcast feed, but they're big, so we usually keep them as video form because we try to put, you know have add a whole video uh, element to it, so... Lots to get to today. Uh, I want to, before we jump into that, I do want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us over the last couple of years. And hopefully, if you went out to the game uh, this past Saturday, you got to stop by the University Village and check out Trader Joe's. All the students we talked to, they absolutely love it. They can, they have their dorms right upstairs. You can walk downstairs and go pick something up. You know, if they're a little older, they can pick up some wine or beer cheeses, snacks, whatever you want to do, and walk right over to campus and 
bring them to your tailgate. So saw a bunch of the tailgating that was going on on Saturday and talked to some people that had gone to Trader Joe's to get their stuff. So very cool. Uh, make sure you check out over at the USC Village. If you get there a little early, go walk over, pick up what you need at Trader Joe's, and uh, you will thank me for it later. And it's funny, Keely, everyone that you know we talked to about the show, they always say, oh, and I love Trader Joe's. It's like a perk that they have to tell you. Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if I get a bonus for that when you say it like that. But no, thank you. Thanks to, to Trader Joe's. Um, we have so many questions. And voicemails. And voicemails. Maybe, should we, should we get Dan like a quick overview of the game? A quick there... overview from Dan and then maybe jump into it. All right, Dan, what, what are your quick thoughts coming out of that game? You know, you know you've probably got to rewatch it, you know, kind of walk away. Some quick thoughts on the game, because I'm sure we're going to touch on a lot of these points uh, with the questions. I think what what comes through uh, from the first game is, unlike USCfootball.com, when we say we're going to do something, we actually do it. USC football kind of indicated they were going to do things on every level, uh, offense, defense, and special teams, and only did them a little bit, or in some you know some some things, but not all the way through. Uh, in an opening game performance that had as many uh, uh-oh moments as, uh, hey, that looks uh, looks pretty good. And on balance, what you had were people walking away saying, that looked a lot like last year. I thought there were a lot of changes. And on balance, it looked too much like last year. So that's the overview. You know, it's funny. We were talking about tunnel vision. I think I don't know if it was Keeley or Shotgun. I, maybe they both made this point because I did say that. Like the fourteen nothing leads are always like, you know, the nail in the coffin for USC football. You're like, oh, you don't want to be up fourteen nothing because you know what's going to happen after that. Now they end up winning the game. Uh, but I, I think Keeley was talking about this too. But sometimes afterwards they would say, well, the execution just wasn't there. And last year that wasn't the case. It was there was a lot of problems uh, after the the 14 point outburst in the first quarter, there would be a whole bunch of problems and they just would go into the tank. But I did feel, and I, when they brought this up, it made sense to me that there was just like a little execution thing that, you know, the, the two turnovers in the red zone, uh, you know, the bobbled snap that led to the interception. Like you felt like maybe that was just one execution error and everything else would have been okay. I don't, do you, do you see it that way, Dan, where it was, same, it seems similar to last year as far as like scoring output, but they seem to be at least closer to be to getting it right. I think they seem closer, but you know, they're one interception away from blowing uh, another double digit lead. Last year they blew four and lost every one of those games. That's impo- almost impossible. I don't know that I've ever heard of a team that, that blew four. <laughs> double-digit leads in the same season and lost every one of those games. And then they're playing for their lives. You know, if he throws it sooner, uh, they're going for a two-point conversion. If they get the two-point conversion, we're in overtime. Where does that leave USC? You wouldn't have liked with the momentum of that game that that couldn't have been, uh, you know, a fifth game, uh, you know, in 13, I guess. Fifth out of 13, or 12, I guess, they didn't lose it in the first game last year uh, where they lost a double-digit lead and maybe – lost the game and uh that's i think the takeaway for many people was man that just looked so familiar and so unsatisfying i think there might be another answer but we can explore that uh, uh yeah. as we go along i think unsatisfying is a great way to uh describe the win 
Um, the players seem to be satisfied, but the fans definitely were not. And even us in the media, we expected to see more, you know, and and it's weird to me. And like the JT Daniels thing is obviously huge, but it's not necessarily huge in my mind because it's like I just didn't it, it still didn't look even when he was in there. There were still issues like all over the place. So now is that some sort of excuse that JT Daniels is out? I don't know. But I, I mean, I don't think there should be. Um, this is a, this is make or break, whatever you got to roll with, whatever you get, whatever cards you're dealt with, you got to make a good hand out of this year. I don't care what happens. Like you'd, you don't have any room for error. So, um, Keely, what was that? I was about to say, well, who's actually making that, that call? Sure. We can say that we had that same standard last season, but the people actually making that call, are they going to be the ones who are like, you know what? Oh, but you lost JT Daniels. It's okay. You know, that's the big question. Yeah. No, there's. Your choice was like you're playing a true freshman by choice. Yeah. You had two quarterbacks on the roster. One has started. Both have some experience, and you chose to pick the guy that came right out of high school. High school. So he's got to be better than those guys. So go. You got to roll with it. So I, I don't think expectations should drop at all. Uh, I don't. Know, do you do you agree with that, Dan? Or yeah, I, I think. I mean, especially when you say he's ready to run this offense, and then I think the. The unsatisfying part of that is he didn't really get a chance to run the offense. The stuff he did only threw eight passes, threw two bombs that were just throwing it up for grabs, which looked like last year, throwing it into coverage. One of them, he got a, an unbelievable catch uh, by Tyler Vaughn. The other one, an easy pick. And that's what we saw last year in, you know, in the gumbo. That wasn't supposed to be any part of what we were, we were seeing. And we saw the defense. It just, I mean, they, they allowed uh, Fresno State with, I think, eight new starters on offense and a, and, a, and a quarterback who wasn't all that terribly accurate and a gutty, you know, gutty little guy uh, from L.A., first time he's ever uh, played almost at all in a college football game, fifth-year senior, and he uh, leads them to 462 yards of offense. I mean, that may be the – the most worrying uh, statistic that came out of that game is that Fresno State, uh, with all those young guys and, and not anywhere near the team they had last year, piled up 462 yards of offense on USC. And a defense that, through the fall football showcase, looked like they were going to be ready to play you know, fast and physical and, and gang tackle people and all that. And he didn't do almost any of that. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into the questions, I just want to let everyone know a uh, little Stanford news came out today. Obviously, for the USC, we weren't sure if uh, JT Daniels was going to be out, but he's out uh, torn ACL and meniscus. So he's out for the season. He'll have surgery within the coming weeks. Um, but on the other, on Stanford side, where USC plays this coming weekend, KJ Costello, one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12, if you saw that hit at the end of the first half, um, very similar, you know, I mean, not so similar hit, but similar thing where the very the end of the first half their win over Northwestern he gets forearmed in the the head by a Northwestern defender they do not call the Big Twin Big Ten crew does not call targeting his helmet came off and he was out with a concussion so David Mills who was a really I mean he's a high level prospect that just doesn't have a lot of experience he came in and played in the second half but uh, KJ Costello will be questionable they'll know um, between you know Wednesday and Thursday later in it, but also Thomas Booker, who's a defensive end, and Dylan Powell, I believe, is one of the starting guards. 
Uh, they're going to be questionable. The big uh, loss for sure is Walker Little, their best offensive lineman. Um, so at left tackle, their left tackle will be out till about midseason. So USC won't face him. The other three guys that were out are questionable. So just some news there. I don't, I don't know any thoughts, Dan. Do you think? Uh, well, I think, I think with, KJ, with KJ Costello, one of the problems you've got when you've got a guy in quarter or in uh, concussion protocol for the first three or four days of the week is he's not going to really get to to play and practice uh, the way you would want him to to get ready for a game. So you know, in the NFL, you might be able to do that. Uh, and he's a senior and, and he's been around a lot, but uh, but I don't I don't think it helps him if they really can't clear him. Uh, until later in the week, that's a tough, that's a tough haul for for a kid to to miss a quarterback to miss that many practices. Uh, I would say you would probably think the chances are not as good that he plays if if they haven't been able to clear him yet. Um, I would think it's going to be a, a, a tough a tough uh, lift for them to get him ready. I, I think. It, and the one thing about this uh, game that that works out well for USC, I think, is it challenges them that you come in and you have to play a tough man game against Stanford. And this is your opportunity to show people what you're made of. You weren't the tougher team on the field Saturday night. Fresno State was. You know, usually, and I agree with Coach Urban Meyer was talking about that on Fox. It said, hey, it's a tough man's game. The tough teams win. Uh, very seldom do you see the tougher team not win. The difference in talent was so great. USC was playing at home. They got away with it. I don't think they get away with that the rest of the year. And this is time for them to make up their mind that you're going to be the tougher team. We're going to out physical people. Now, if you go another week of practice and you're not physical and you're not competing in practice, then, you know, then they're going to be in trouble. They took, it sounds like two, two weeks off from being uh, physical and competitive uh, since the end of fall camp. I thought they had a good fall camp. I haven't seen them in two weeks. Sounds like they haven't been doing any tackling. Sounds like they haven't been real physical. And here's the flaw. The thing that I find so difficult to understand is if you're going to hold off on releasing your uh, depth chart until every Friday and you make a big show of that because you want players to compete in practice, but then you don't have physical and competitive practices. That's what's the point. How do you beat somebody out if you're mostly, you know, doing walkthroughs and, and just trying to get all the timing down and what have you, you, you can't beat anybody out. That. There's no reason to hold off the depth chart until Friday. If you're not doing anything Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, where they're really competing with one another and going after one another. Uh, so that was, I think, again, the secret. The competitiveness with uh, with the Pete Carroll time was that they really did go after one another in practice, and they they convinced themselves, and it was often true. Practices were tougher than games. Let's face it, Saturday's game, I guarantee you, was way tougher than all the practices put together <laughs> for the last two weeks. And you, you think that's not true? That's that's a good of point. Of course, yeah. it is. Yep. Nice. Well, 
I think we got to <laughs> jump into some questions here. We're going to have to almost start rapid fire, right? Like, yeah, we just got to get into it. Yeah. Okay. But thank you for all the questions, everybody. Yeah, yeah. we appreciate it. Uh, let's start with our buddy John in Brea, who says, I guess it's a little too early for an emergency podcast. So the simple question is, did anything change? Where was the rotation on defense? Where was the instinct to bury an opponent when you have them down? Will this team ever finish stronger than it starts? The culture did not change. Keeping Clancy Pendergast will end up costing Clay Hilton his job. Hard to disagree. I mean, it, it, you had to make a statement, I think, in this game uh, that you could do those things uh, that you said you were going to do. And when you don't, and when it looks, as, as, as John says, it looks just like last year, that's really not a good, that's not a good look. Uh, and uh, the only hope, when your only hope is, man, I hope they were sandbagging Stanford. <laughs> which is probably really dumb yeah. to try to do at this point. If that's your good, if that's the good hope coming out of that game, maybe they were sandbagging. That's probably not a good thing. No, that's a good point. I mean, it, it's definitely a good opponent. I mean, there was a, it was a good defense, but it was a, such a brand new offense to get outgained by an offense that was losing so many starters and a quarterback that could run the ball, but look limited in the, in the passing game. I think that's where, you know, there's some real concerns that you want to come out and make, some sort of statement. And we've seen, you know, some Pac-12 teams fall on their face like UCLA and Arizona, but you see like a Washington State really look good and handle their business against an overmatched opponent. But they came out and you're like, okay, you look at that game and you're like, I think Washington State can be pretty good this year. You know, and you you look at Utah, you're like, yeah, how good is BYU? They're on the road. I mean, I think they're going to be pretty good this year. You Colorado, even playing Colorado State, you're like, wow, I think they might even be better than we think. But you look at USC, knowing it was a pretty good opponent, and going, I don't know. It looks well, too close. If yeah. you want to talk about statements, the most USC statement at all is the first play of the game. 61-yard <laughs> return. Talent shines there. And then, oh, wait, two sevens on the field. Something that we could have prepared for all offseason long was messed up. And so it just, it, to me, that was such a great summary of what USC is dealing with right now. You don't want to get me started because I already went on I know. a rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> but well, Just a little quick comment. Whenever you change a number, the referee has to announce it. You notice that? How many Fresno State number changes were there in the game? Would that number be zero? Yeah. Because they didn't ever put two guys out there with the same number. USC going into the game had three different special teams at least with duplicate numbers. That's like, I mean, that's like playing Russian roulette. You can't be, something's going to go wrong. Yeah. And you, you just don't do it. And if you do, I mean, you've got to put some responsibility on the player. I mean, all of us know number seven, Stephen Carr, is going to be on the field on every kickoff return. Okay? That's, that's a given. Now, if you're another guy on the USC team and you have number seven, and you go on the field as the second number seven, my message to, to you would be, you will never go on the field again. Your job is, I don't care where the guy is with the slip-on jerseys. If you've got a duplicate number of somebody else, it's your job to get that duplicate, get that slip-on jersey on. You don't go out onto the field with the same number as somebody else. That's just, but to have three teams at least, that are in that predicament that you're hoping that in the 
hustle and bustle of the game and all the, you know, on the USC sideline, are you kidding me? Uh, that they're going to get that right? That's just crazy. Yeah. That's, and Shotgun said it happened that. twice last year and it wasn't called. So I said, you lose all your privileges. Like, yeah, if, if Stephen Carr's yeah. returning kicks, Chase Williams can't be in the game. Like, find somebody else to be on kickoff return. Like, it's not that hard. You're making it harder than it is. And for it to happen after this nine-month-long offseason where all you wanted to do is get the bad taste of last season out of your mouth, and it's 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 baffling to me. So it's you sh- that should never happen again. I, I don't get it, but it's, uh, yeah, baffling. I mean, as soon as the, the the coin toss is made and Fresno State defers, someone should have been standing next to Chase Williams or Chase Williams standing next to someone and said, slip that jersey on me. That's It's that simple. It's not that hard. Yeah. Now, if you say, oh, it was supposed to be somebody and he ran into, a, you know, the concession stand on the way out of you know, whatever, and now we got to put Chase Williams in. No, you don't. You don't have to ever put somebody with a duplicate number in. Ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Let someone else do it. Like, that's why, like, you know what? It'd be better. It's pretty close between these two. Chase, you sit this one out and let someone else play. So, um, I like how this is going to be a short rant about this. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Let's move on to the next question. We have a couple of questions from Paul and Minifee. I'm going to break it up by his offensive questions and defensive questions. First, he says, What happened to Valus Jones and Devin Williams at wide receiver? And then he says, Why can't we not even do a victory formation from under center? Slovis almost fumbled the shotgun snap. Okay, two parts of that. Uh, the first part, Velas and Devin, and what happened to uh, uh, Drake London, Manier McLean, uh, uh, John Jackson. You know, just go go through the whole list of wide receivers who catch the ball every day at practice and were nowhere to be seen. I watched some of those guys come off the field in their perfectly pristine USC uniforms. Not a grass stain to be had not even need to be uh, laundered for this week and thinking there's some disappointed guys who practice one way and now game comes and, and it goes the other way. As far as the quarterbacks, uh, the victory formation, I agree with the coaches because of the competition at quarterback and all the snaps that he had to go to four different guys, they really didn't have time to have the quarterbacks under center. So I think that's a, when you see teams do that, who don't practice it, that's a formula for a fumble for sure. So I, the thing you practice, you've got to do. And he didn't handle it. But I don't think that means, oh, he would have handled a snap under center that he hasn't taken all year and maybe in his whole career uh, under pressure. No. Uh, I mean, in the old days, maybe uh, they don't practice it. And so I think you're asking an awful lot uh, from both the center and the quarterback to think that that would you would get that right. So that's the right thing to do is the thing you practice. You've got to do it in that situation. Yeah. And then he has a final question. He says, do our defensive backs know how to bat the ball down fourth and 10? And Greg Johnson is trying to catch the ball instead of instead they convert. Yeah, we saw him. And uh, I thought their ball. Uh, skills and ball recognition and location, I thought looked good the first two weeks. I thought they taught them. I thought the techniques they were teaching them uh, and when to turn and locate the ball, we didn't see that Saturday night enough. Not enough. We had guys that were almost in position or almost, you know, turned the right way or almost jumped at the right time. That was 
and I know they they attributed a lot to you know first game jitters or whatever, but uh, I thought they didn't look as athletic as they really are. I thought that was I, I don't know that that wasn't what we've been seeing in practice. They've been pretty competitive, um, uh, you know, on the football. Uh, they've been you know they get beat a lot of times by bigger, uh, more veteran guys, but uh, uh, I thought that was uh, disappointing. We have a question or a comment from Earl in West L.A., and he's kind of taking a different approach to this game than some of the other USC fans. He says, there have been a lot of negative response to the Trojans' victory on Saturday, but to me, it all seems premature as they took away more positives than negatives. First, we beat a good football team. Plug-and-play seems to work as the offense did not significantly drop under Keaton Slowis, who performed admirably for a guy who never played a college game. Vi Malpei rushed for 134 yards. The defense bent, but for the most part, did not break. The six penalties and two fumbles are things that can be fixed. Plus, Stanford and BYU did not look that much better than Fresno State this weekend, so I remain cautiously optimistic. Thoughts? Fight on and beat the farm. Yeah. Earl in West LA. Yeah, I think that's a defensible position. I, I don't. I think. Uh, I think that the total yardage that they gave up and the inability to contain them in the second half, I think, is is concerning uh, for the defense. Uh, uh, I don't think we know yet what kind of a team president state is. I think that he, uh, Jeff Tedford has developed an a unbelievable uh, tradition in the two previous years there uh, and the turnaround. And they've got kids that just, you know, go out and fight and they're tough kids. And it doesn't matter that they hadn't played much and all that. I, I thought, but how good they are. I mean, I don't think they even compare. I mean, UCLA went into Cincinnati I think USC was lucky they weren't playing Cincinnati. Uh, that would have been a that would have been a different story. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's wrong to say you can get this going in the right direction, as Earl says, and that there are some pluses to to build on. I don't think there were enough for people to come out of that game feeling like there's an absolutely enough to build on. I think there were too many question marks that you, you know, where the kids are having to answer, well, what went wrong here? What went wrong here? What went wrong here? It wasn't that. And, and, and the answer you get is, well, we just have to correct some mistakes. This is an execution-based offense or an execution-based defense, and we just didn't execute. That sounds way too much like last year. Like all we got to do is, what was it with the penalties last year? We just had to categorize them and put them up on the, on the screen, and then it was okay. Well, no. And they are better than Tully's, for example. But just talking about them or identifying them, that's not enough. Showing them on film, not enough. They got to do it in practice three straight days. We'll see. On the other side well, of the... We won't, excuse me. We won't see <laughs> true. until Saturday. Saturday we'll know. Very true. On the other side of the spectrum, uh, Andrew Hogue has a different opinion. He says, what is it about USC football that gives the feeling of dread? And here we go again as soon as the first quarter is over. Yeah. I mean, and people pointed this out in the last, uh, you know, since January, you have a team that you say, if you're the athletic director, you say they've got to make all these major changes in every single area of the program. And then... You make some changes, but you still have the same head coach, the same defensive coordinator, and the same special teams coordinator. So is it unrealistic 
to expect once the, you know, like Clay likes to talk about the bullets start flying, that you're going to revert to the way you, you've been, the way you see things. Uh, maybe we'll see, but didn't look enough different, uh, to most people. And then that's correct. Like same old, same old. Um, we had a question more from the previous question, more on the positive side of things. Uh-huh. I think he doesn't like, uh, some of my takes. I'll play this one for Ooh. you. Get your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Mr. Abraham. This is Lee from the Bay area. Uh, I'd like for you to discuss this, uh, my thoughts when Dan Weber get on your program. Uh, just listening to your two latest podcasts, I'm kind of going to respectfully disagree with you. Uh, you kind of sound like the, uh, 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 the, your outlook is kind of like the Helton haters outlook. But just let me give my quick, uh, perspective. Uh, one, uh, we know that um, the whole defensive backfield, they're, uh, they're basically brand new, so we know we got that in the backfield. We know we got all, all brand new line, all brand new offensive linemen except one coming back. Um, you got a new coaching staff. So I think they look pretty good. Um, I think, of course, there were some issues. Uh, there were some issues. Uh, one, a couple of them was, you know, veteran receivers dropping the ball. Uh, Daniels throwing an interception, uh, fumble, uh, in the red zones. I think that's a possibly two scores, uh, right there. And, um, I just think they look better. Uh, they're a young team and I think they're going to get better. And, um, all right. Thank you. You have a good day. Yeah. I mean, I think there are, you know, the glass is half full or it's half empty. Uh, I just think people wanted to see, and have a feeling that things had changed enough and moving in the right direction. I think the team took enough forward steps that they countered with backward steps that left people in a place where uh, it just doesn't look enough different. It looks like too many of the same kinds of mistakes, too many of the same kinds of issues. Uh, I think they needed more of a statement game in that game and and we didn't get it. Uh, it's that simple. So I think people aren't uh, wrong to be a little worried about what they just saw. I think there there are issues and the issues that weren't that weren't fixed that appeared to be fixed in, the, in fall camp. And then there was a reversion uh, when the game time got here, and, uh, and just the inability to put somebody away when you get a 14 to nothing lead. I mean, that's when you just, you force teams to take chances. You take the ball away. They did take it away three times, but didn't, you know, it didn't get enough out of that. I mean, it took basically a hundred yard kickoff return by Vilas Jones to win the game. Other than that, there's, there was almost no difference between a brand new, pretty much brand new Fresno state team and, and a USC team that looked like they kind of figured out where they were going and how they were going to go there with, pretty good talent and they needed the one play out of the blue. Uh, and that was the only uh, real difference in the game. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I feel bad. Sorry with the take, but looking at what I saw, I, there was optimism there. I was like, I was reserving the right that this team could go 10 and two, you know, 
But what I saw on the field Saturday made me feel much more confident about my initial pick of them going seven and five. I think they're going to win some. They have more talent than everybody. They're going to win some games, but they're going to lose some games. And that, like Dan said, that was a very, that was a losable game on Saturday. And you've got five losable games coming up. So can you win three of them? That would be, that would be great. Then you're talking about a four and two start. Do you win only two of them? You know, then you're talking about a three and three start. Do you only win one? I mean, that's really bad. So I don't know at this point, but you know, I'm glad you, there's going to be some optimism. There's going to be some pessimism. We're going to know a lot more uh, after the Stanford game, which you always should ne- We always talk about. It's never like it's the false you, positive. It's a false positive, but combined with Fresno state, I think you'll have a decent feeling for where this team is going. Yeah. Do you want to do another voicemail, Ryan? Uh, sure. We can do one more. Um, let's see. We'll do this one. Hey guys. So glad that it's fall. So glad that we have football back. Um, it's uh, Crystal from Marina Del Rey. Um, I think that we should have kind of a new segment on the show, maybe like interesting commentary. Uh, I'm going to nominate for the Fresno State game. I'm still watching it contemporaneously, so we're only in the first quarter. But one of the commentators said, it's like the United Nations out there in reference to the fact that there were a lot of flags. And I would like to nominate that as my interesting commentary for the day. If you guys don't want to do this uh, every week, totally fine with it, but just throwing it out there as an option for us to, you know, kind of all reminisce or reflect, look back on some of the interesting comments that we have during the game. Thanks and fight on. Bye. Hey, Crystal, that's a great idea. Uh, we're, we're not watching the broadcast, though, because we're at the game. So we'll need you guys to send in, like, what's interesting, you know? So here's the thing that I was going to ask you guys is I – when I was doing the rewatch, the thing that kept one of the announcers kept saying was the 15 plays, the the script, the script that USC had was successful and then everything else didn't work after that. And I felt like that narrative kind of permeated to fans and fans had that opinion as well. Do you guys agree with that? Because for me, I thought that if USC made drops that we've seen them or made catches that we've seen them make before, that's that's a successful drive. Yeah. So I, I don't do you agree with the whole script thing? You know, I don't. It doesn't look to me like this is a, a scripted team. I will probably have to ask Graham now. We've got to explore the difference between the early couple of drives and the rest of the game. And what was that difference? I, I haven't ever gotten the sense that Graham was a scripted guy. Yeah. Uh, and that this was like in previous years. I don't think this offense, I don't think you do it that way. I mean, he's a feel guy. He's a guy that you know, has a feel for the game. And, I don't, so I don't think that's, that's correct. Uh, I also don't think, uh, you know, you, you talk about the, it looked like the United Nations with all the flags. USC had only four penalties. That's great. They can go for, I mean, they were averaging nine, 10 last year. If they go with four penalties a game for 35 yards, they really improve. I mean, they will have jumped up maybe a hundred places in, in the, the college football stats from whatever it was, 120 or something or whatever, uh, four penalties a game. That's good. They yeah. were, they cost them about a hundred yards in a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, so they seemed awful, but there were only four of them. So you didn't see uh, a lot of the kinds of sloppy, careless penalties of last year. That's improved. I don't think there's any question they've improved there. Yeah, by the time she called in, it was probably looking pretty ugly because you've had, I think at that point, you've had two explosive plays eliminated 
from penalties and the first one, like we already talked about, but all four penalties were ex- like the, 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 the worst play that was eliminated was like a 25 yard Vi Malapai run. Like yeah. all the, there was a long Amon Ross St. Brown pass. There was a touchdown to Michael Pittman and there was a 61 yard kickoff return. The yeah. touchdown to Michael Pittman was a legal man downfield. That one I thought was actually questionable. I didn't think that Jalen McKenzie was, it was right at the board and Clay Helton said as much on the, I heard on the broadcast, yeah. like it was questionable. So that one, I even kind of give a little yeah. bit of leeway, but you know, so it's yeah, like that's, that's only the one. I'm good. not sure that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure they got their money's worth out of having all those Pac-12 officials at practice. Cause <laughs> yeah. I think that's one where you give them the benefit of the doubt. He yeah. really wasn't obviously uh, down the field. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was, that was not uh, one of their better moments. And they, they didn't have a lot of good moments, the Pac-12 officials. I mean, there were times when there were as many replays. I mean, there were more, I mean, more replays than, you know, than, than plays there for a while. I mean, it was, uh, that was not good. And most of the replays were, I think, all but one were if, if the replay review overturns this, it's going to hurt USC. It didn't seem like, for example, there were at least one other play that was so obviously had to have a replay, but it would have helped Fresno. So they didn't do it. So I didn't like, I didn't think they did a good job. I know, uh, uh, Mike McKay, the uh, referee, I just think he looked like he wasn't quite ready and his crew, uh, to the same extent. At least they didn't keep throwing flags though. Yeah. So we have two questions that have a similar theme. So I'm going to read them. First one is from Troy75, who says, Do you guys think that the injury to JT Daniels will give cover to Clay Helton so that whatever goes wrong this year could be attributed to the loss of the starting quarterback and thereby giving Helton a built-in excuse, making him deserving of another year as the Trojans head coach? Would Lynn Swan likely take that attitude? And then he said, all we can do is fight on. And then we had a question from Mike in the Bay Area who says, My question is for Keeley and Dan. If JT is out for an extended amount of time, is this an excuse not to fire Helton and give him one more year? And what's up with not punting the ball on fourth down thanks for all the content and hard work hashtag fire helton 19 mike in the bay area okay what i think this does is it allows clay to prove what kind of a coach he is i don't i don't think it gives him any sort of a pass on uh, how the season turns out and, and what have you but it does give him a chance and this team a chance to say look we're made of you know tougher stuff and we're not going to let this hold us back and all of that. So I think it's an opportunity for Clay. I don't think it's going to be an excuse at all. And gosh, that we don't even know will Lance Wan be making that decision. Um, well, I think that's doubtful. Uh, but uh, uh, I just, you know, I think it'll be made at a higher level. Uh, and it's going to depend on a whole lot of things. But uh, but I don't think I don't think it gives uh, Clay a pass. It does give him an opportunity. As far as the fourth and one. There's no, there's no rationale that makes that a good call. That was just, and the fact that he, Clay stuck by it after having a night to think about it, and sun, on Sunday absolutely would do that again. Uh, that's worrisome. That was a really, really, really bad call. There, there's no justification for going uh, at, at the 49-yard line or 44-yard line at fourth and one. You just kick it. You just you don't even think about it twice, uh, and you let your defense win the game. To say, oh, we're going to let our off. It, you know, this has not been a team that's been really great over the years in those situations, and you know they didn't need to do that. That was a, a, a chance they didn't need to take, and you know, so no, 
No you know, justification. As far as like changes, that would have been, I think, a great opportunity because he was asked during the he was asked during the press conference post game, and he was asked on the Sunday conference call. So it's obviously something that you know not everyone agrees with the decision. Like you're, they're not asking you the question because, um, you know, it's it's not a it's not a questionable question. I guess you could say like it's <laughs> it's it's pretty reasonable. Like justified. Yeah, it's justified. Of hey, this this might not have been the right call. And I would have loved to see something where it's like, no, every time I would do that, like in a heartbeat, I would do it again, as opposed to, here's why I thought I can understand why people you know, wouldn't want to do this. This is what my thinking was during the game. You want that? Exactly. I kind of want oh, to okay. hear more of that, you know, instead of, nope, this is, I would do that a hundred times out of a hundred, you know, that's that sort of thing. Yeah. He sounded almost incredulous when Dan asked on Sunday night. It was yeah. like, this is kind of a good question to, to reevaluate here. Yeah. But so, it's sort of like. Why are you even asking that? Like, no, of course that's the right, you know, where like you're trying to convince people. No, I mean, no one's going to walk away from that going, oh, yeah, it was definitely the right call. But you could do it in a way where like, here's what we were thinking. And uh, I could see why, you know, you might want to do this, but this is why we did this. I don't think anyone's going to well, qu- question you if you well, reevaluate your thinking in hindsight. Yeah. And I think you actually get respect for saying, hey, you know, I was wrong, but I'm going to correct it or whatever. I think sticking so hard in your decisions like that makes people even more concerned of, okay, you had time to think about this and you're still really sold on this. Like, I think that's more concerning than maybe what he thinks is concerning. Yes. And, you know, you're going with a freshman quarterback and he hasn't been in those situations almost at all. Uh, You're going... uh, on a second straight, uh, uh, you were you had third and one and you didn't make it, no gain, and then you go fourth and one and you lose five, uh, and then you say, uh, if you're Clay, you say, well, we made it every single time in the game. We did it four times and we made every single one of them. No, you didn't. You just didn't make it the play before. I mean, come on, you can't have a, a rationale that is factually incorrect. I mean, it's, it's that simple. And you, and it's a kind of a skewed view uh, of seeing things through the offense uh, when you say, you know, I'm going to, de- I trust my guys and they're going to get it done and blah, 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 blah. But in effect, you also were not trusting your defense because if you kick the ball away, even if you kick it into the end zone, they got to go 80 yards in two minutes. You don't trust your defense to hold them from going 80 yards in two minutes. And not only that, uh, sorry, sorry, Dan, yeah, I was, go I was go just going to add, you have a punter who, granted, looked more <laughs> not like the world beater that we had advertised, but you have a punter who practiced these specific situations for like at least a half an hour every single practice in fall camp. And then when you have the perfect opportunity to, to introduce him and, and have this situation where you can pin Fresno State, you just don't choose it. It just, to me, doesn't make sense. Yeah. We're well, gonna... and if he'd have hit his, and if he'd have hit his fourth straight thirty-seven yard really high punt, <laughs> it would have come down at where the seven yard line. That would have been pretty good. That would have been pretty good. That would have been like really good. Okay, so a lot of missed opportunities, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about all that in a minute, Dan. We got a question about punting, but we're going to tell you about SeatGeek first. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? 
It's as, it's as if they're so big, they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if their site's annoying and doesn't have the tickets you want? Hello, status quo. The real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared? With millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there is a better way. Search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Why are they better than the rest? If you look at the app, over 50,000 five-star reviews. How's that for customer satisfaction? It's a better process. They put millions of tickets all over the web in one place, and then they'll rate each deal scale of 1 to 10. And they also will display all of the seats on an interactive seat map. So you can kind of see where all the details are, where your seats would be, and what it would cost. So I have SeatGeek on my phone. It's great. I got some friends going to the Stanford game this weekend. So I used it to get them a couple of tickets. Make sure you check it out if you need tickets for this weekend's game or any of the other USC games. And SeatGeek will give you $10 off your first purchase at SeatGeek. All you have to do is use our promo code USC. Download the SeatGeek app today. Use promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code USC for $10 off your first purchase. Make sure you check out SeatGeek. All right. Uh, let me play you this voicemail uh, about punting because Keely and I had his opinion on it. Shotgun had a little bit different opinion. We're going to get Dan's opinion. Here you go. Hey, guys. Um, I don't understand something. If Ben Griffiths can kick a punt uh, 50 or 60 yards each time, then why was Fresno State waiting for a 40-yard punt and they even had to run up a few yards to catch the ball each time? I'm not sure we believe you that this guy can kick past 40 yards. Fresno State never thought he could. Anyway, very disappointed. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, very disappointing, huh? Yeah. Hopefully, uh, I mean, I'm sorry. We go to practice every day. The one thing we get to see is the punting. Uh, he, I don't know if he's more impressive than Tom Malone was when he led the nation by far uh, and punted at almost 50 yards a punt and just unfortunately didn't have enough punts to win the, you know, the national title as far as punting. But this kid has been different. He's unusual. Uh, every once in a while, he does a lot of different punts. So um, we just we see all of them. You know, he's got a rugby punt. He's got a you know torpedo, which is the American-style spiral. He's got the pooch punt. He's got the drop. Uh, what he, we saw was a carbon copy of what we've seen for the last three years. Was he overcoached? Was he told, you know, we don't outkick your coverage? I don't know. We're going to find out today. We're going to ask a lot of questions today. But to have a guy, I mean, here's a guy, it's almost 28 years old. He's uh, had an eight-year professional career. He's, um, he's played in, in front of as many as 87,000 for uh, his Richmond Tigers uh, Aussie Rules team. Uh, I think they averaged over 54,000. So 
you know, he talked about the difference in the claustrophobic nature because the Coliseum is so much smaller than the field they play on. But that hasn't bothered him in practice. They've gone live uh, with, you know, many of the punts. Uh, I only have a good explanation. But to act like, oh, yeah, he really couldn't kick it that far. He's really a 40-yard punter. And Fresno knew that's just, I'm sorry, that's just not a very good analysis of what happened. I don't know what happened. I what do you think President's going to do after the first one's or 37-yard you know, average? They're going to come in a little bit. I don't blame him. But to act like, oh, Fresno knew he wasn't going to be able to punt it that well. Okay. I guess you know better. But uh, that's just don't do that. That's just not, that's not a good second guess. Okay? Yeah. He can punt that far. We've seen it. If you came to the spring showcase, you would have seen it. Fall showcase. Fall, I'm sorry, the fall showcase. You would have seen it. So I don't know why he didn't. Was he being tinkered with? Was he asked not to punt it that far to, so you don't know, kick the coverage? That's my guess. Uh, but who knows, you know? In a same related theme, our buddy Stephen Poway sent us a question. And first he says, is it too late to bring back Jack Sears to the team? He says, also, how do you think punter Ben Griffiths did in his debut? Thanks and fight on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... I can't wait to talk to Ben. He's just great about you know, uh, his approach to, to things. Whether, was he, again, what was he told? It looks surprisingly uh, much like last year. And we were you know, with Coach Baxter. He was thrilled that all of the previous situations in the previous years, they weren't going to happen this year because he had Ben as his punter. And then they happen again. Again, it's a theme that, boy, things have changed. Wow, look where we're going to be. And then you go to the game, and people are so disappointed because they say things didn't change at all. Because he had, it wasn't where he needed to kick the ball that short. He had fields where he could just let it go. He could flip the field, kick the heck out of it, and didn't do it at all. Didn't, you know, didn't take advantage of, again, are they not showing Stanford? Is Stanford going to line up 40 yards back and they're going to kick at 60? I don't know. Uh, but it's, uh, it was perplexing to say the least to see every one of those punts a carbon copy of, of the, you know, the one before. Don't have a good answer. Yeah. We have a question from Steven in Culver City. He says, in light of the injury to JT Daniels, how practical would it be to require skill players to wear a lighter version of the protective knee braces that offensive linemen wear? I know that JT will inevitably have to wear one when he returns. Well, for the quarterbacks, I don't know. I mean, I think, I don't think the skill players, you can't, no, no, they can't, can't do that. Um, quarterbacks, some teams are still doing that, uh, with, with a protective brace, not many as much. It was more the fad for a while. And then they decided it's just too cumbersome. Uh, I'm not even sure that would have helped him the way his knee got twisted. And, and you know, the problem there was not the, not having a knee brace on. The problem was they rushed seven USC barely blocked two of them. Four of them got to him. The fifth guy was standing right there. I mean, that, that's, that's inexcusable. And I don't think, and, you know, if you're JT, you probably got to pick up that they're coming with seven. 
And you probably got to realize if I don't get something absolutely on the first look within two seconds, I got to throw this thing away. Because if I throw it away, we line up and kick a field goal and get out of there with a score. Uh, he didn't know that he had nowhere to go. So he, he tried to extend the play. He tried to twist uh, and get away from the rush. There was no getting away from the rush. Four guys that had, four guys had their hands on him. I mean, that's as bad a job. And that's an offensive line that didn't really break down that badly in protection. That was, that was the only sack. Uh, so it couldn't have happened at a worse time. You have to see it coming. The offensive line has to do a better job, even if they've got too many to block. Block all the ones you can and, uh, and make them you know, go after him with two instead of four. Uh, but then JT's got to throw that ball away immediately. They just got to go out of there knowing uh, I'm not going to be a hero. I'm gonna, I'm not going to make a play. There's nothing I can do, and and you feel so bad for him because, you know, all he's trying to do is make a play and um, costs him him you know a year, costs uh, USC a field goal opportunity. Uh, it's just so sad all the way around and. Uh, at an offensive line that he had a pretty good night in terms of pass protection, and then you get that that play, and that's almost all everybody's going to remember. Yeah, we haven't talked about it yet, but I thought the offensive line did better than I expected I compared to what we saw last year. But on a related note, I was really impressed when talking to center Brett Nealon after the game about that specific play, and he just exemplified a leader because he was like, you know, I – take 100% of the blame for what happened to JT. He was like, I feel horrible about it. He was like, I should be IDing those those uh, blitzes faster. He was like, someone on the line identified it to me late, and I was starting to try and tell JT, but JT started the count, and I didn't know what to do, and so he started to signal the ball, and so I snapped it, and, and we couldn't pick up the guys. And so he just felt, he was just torn up about it. He just felt bad about it. But that's something that, I mean, I think you can kind of share the blame, and he took full responsibility for it. And so that's something you want to see from your center and, and someone who's leading the line. So I thought it was impressive just hearing that leadership uh qualities from him yeah and that, that's the kind of thing you may learn from because even if jt started the count um you may want to stand up and try to stop him and at worst you get a five-yard penalty but you identify the blitz and that probably was what brett had to do uh to try to somehow stop jt and you know it's going to add five yards to the field goal maybe but it gives you it gives you another shot at uh, at converting on third down, but uh, but that, all the way around, you know, that that play, you know, gonna gonna be the story maybe of uh, of 2019. Mm-hmm. And yeah. those are little things that you just have to pick up, and and, and that's probably what you expect out of uh, a line with this experience. I mean, two starters and all the other guys were were in the mix last year. Again. Brett should have had a whole lot more experience coming out of last year. He sat on the bench and he was the best center on the team. And that now that plays out and hurts you this year. Those are the kinds of mistakes you make in a, in a program going forward. When you don't make the right decisions last year, uh, they come back to bite you this year. Yeah. Yep. Um, should we do a. Sure. We have a couple more questions as well. We'll do a voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Dan, Keely, and Ryan. Uh, 
This question's from Jason from Longhorn Country. Anyways, what are they going to blame tonight's performance on? You guys weren't in practice the last two weeks, so, you know, where are we going to go from here? Fight on, Jason Longhorn Country. Wow, that's the most beat down we've ever heard, Jason. <laughs> he seems. Jason, oh my gosh, so, it sounds like Bevo just ran over you. Yeah, uh, my, wife, my you know, goodness. Oh. You know, my wife, Jan, is a big Tennessee fan, and one of their beat writers, I think it was David Ubbin with The Athletic, tweeted something along the lines of, hey, you know, good thing you didn't let reporters watch one minute of practice. Otherwise, it would have been really worse against Georgia, Georgia State or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like, yeah, what, did, like, how much better did the team look because reporters weren't at practice, Clay? I'm not sure. I mean, at least if we'd have been at practice, one of us would have said things like, do you think you need to do some tackling? You've got pads on, but can you take two weeks off from your last tackling to the next game? Or, you know, coach, they call it tackle football. Is there a reason they call it tackle football? Do you like, is it tackle football if you never practice tackling? I mean, that would be a question we would probably would have asked uh, because, again, we've seen it before. Um, So, you know, it wasn't – the good news is it wasn't us. Uh, But, um, yeah. Uh, Oh, there was – by the way, there was a talking point and there was a – for Jason, there was an explanation. What was it, Keely? First game jitters. How often do we hear that? Yeah. First game jitters. And I asked Tyler Rods okay. about that, and he was like, no, it wasn't first game jitters. <laughs> so, <laughs> but at the same time, how do you explain what Amon Ra and Tyler Rods did? Like, those are, are catches they make in their sleep. So, I, in a way, I can understand that excuse for that particular I think, reason. I think, they've, I think they've gone really hard. Uh, they went hard in spring. I think they went pretty, you know, they, they gave them a little break in the summer. And then they went hard in fall camp. And I think two weeks of maybe not having the defense really coming after you, I think it gives you a little more time to think. And you just, your timing isn't quite where it ought to be. And maybe your eyes and your head and all of those little details that, that you have to practice every single day. You just, you know, you can't, you can't do something for two weeks that you're not going to do in the game. And I think it's hard to practice this offense if you're not going full speed yeah. and, and with, with all-out competitiveness from the defense. And he has to figure out a way. I mean, we heard the story this week that, that uh, Nick Saban, every single day his team is in pads, they tackle to the ground. Now, it cost him his All-American middle linebacker, but this, the freshman they put in, played really well in their opener. So, and, and you could tell Nick Saban was really broken up about what happened to that kid, but he said, I don't know how else you teach it. How else you, do you teach them to play this game unless you play it that way? Yeah. Uh, all right, we're going to take a real quick break, come right back and uh, finish up with all your questions. We still got more if you can believe it. So back in a second. <laughs>
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Keely, what do we got left? <laughs> we have a question from Steve. We have a lot of Steves and Stevens who, yeah. who write in, so thank you to all the Steves. Uh, he says, playing pretty good football for one and a half quarters and then struggling for the rest of the game seems to be a staple of Clay Hilton coach to USC football teams. Why do you think this is? Are other teams making in-game adjustments and USC stubbornly sticks to its original game plan? Do they just practice their scripted plays over and over and over and don't have a plan for the rest of the game? Are they poorly conditioned? What is it? This seems to be a constant issue over the last several years. Thanks and fight on. Steve, class of U- or USC class of 97. Yeah, Steve, I mean, that you would ask that question is is what's wrong uh, with, with that here's a team that's made all these changes through spring practice, every spring practice, every fall camp. So you're basically talking about 30 practices where they did it differently. We don't see the last two weeks, but then they come out and it looks like they didn't do it, those 30 practices differently. That's a little scary. It's a little, you know, inexplicable that they didn't seem to learn that what they said they were going to do and what they did do in spring and fall camp, they stopped doing in the game. Um, hard to, Hard, yeah, hard to you know, to give you a good explanation as to as to why that would happen, why you would do that. Other than the one we've got is they decided to sandbag Stanford. I don't know. You would think a team that lost four games where they had double digit leads last year would not even remotely think a fourteen to nothing lead uh, early is plenty good, and we can just put it in the hopper and not not just keep doing our stuff and running our stuff. Uh, that's pretty amazing that that turned out the way it did, but it, it did look like last year too much. Yeah. We got an email from Matt in Ann Arbor who says, do you think the Clay Helton era represents the last phase of USC's efforts to try and daisy chain their way out of sanctions rather than fighting them like they should have? It feels like you could draw a line from this staff back to Pete Carroll and every step has been to try and keep things going the way they were. For instance, bringing Clancy in was partly because his system didn't rely heavily on a lot of down linemen, which we didn't have because of scholarship limitations, and they sort of adapted to that. The practice... The practicing without too much tackling goes back to that dilemma too, couldn't afford injuries and so forth. In any case, it feels like this is, hopefully, he says, the last phase of the NCAA's political hatchet job on USC. Any thoughts? Thanks for all your great work. Fight on, Matt and Ann Arbor. You know, Matt, I think that there are a couple of ways it's connected to that. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a kind of a compilation of all my answers to all the emails and phone calls and all of that. I think I got more uh, for this game than anyone I've ever covered at USC. And I'm putting, putting that out later today. And one of the uh, emailers said he thought it was kind of a uh, Stockholm syndrome, uh, kind of a deal that, you know, went from the, uh, from Lane Kiffin, the Steve Sarkeesian to Clay, where there was this thought that we can't practice too hard. We don't have enough players. We don't have enough bodies. Oh my gosh, they, they really screwed us. And all we can do is 
try to do it like the NFL does it, and maybe we'll survive with enough guys. And, and you know, obviously, it worked sometimes. Uh, when Ed Orgeron came in and they beat Stanford with 13 guys on defense, what was number four Stanford in the in the nation? There were times when you know, trying to conserve guys, uh, they conserved bodies. When Clay took over for the uh, Las Vegas Bowl, they practiced six times, I think, out of the 15 they were allowed, and they showed up ready to play. So, you know, sometimes it works, but I think as a general rule, week after week, game after game, season after season, you can't, uh, you know, work your way out by not working hard in practice. And having that idea that uh, uh, you don't have enough players and we can't do it the way Pete did it, we got to do it a different way, uh, that's got to be passed by now. They, they can't, they've got enough players. They've got enough players to practice hard. They've got enough players to go out there and say, we're going to be the physically tougher dominant team when we line up against Fresno State. And I don't know that that mentality has come through yet, but I think that's a good point, Matt. We have an email from Tony from the Dub, which is Whittier, apparently. He says, two things for my observation slash questions from the Fresno State game. One, we should run the ball more because our backs look really good and it sets up the pass instead of this modified air raid offense. Two, what is Jack Sears currently thinking, assuming that JT might be out for at least the next few weeks? We know he's out for the season. And then he says, is it a man man up opportunity? And then question three is, what are your thoughts on one and two? Well... I think Jack Sears is thinking, hey, they had me a fourth team. Uh, what am I going to do, be third team? I, I don't know. And he's not sticking around. Uh, he's got two years of eligibility as a grad transfer, and he's going to be somewhere else in the spring. And his ability to work through all the possibilities for him uh, would really be more difficult. If he came back to the team, he's not visiting anybody, he's not talking to anybody, he wouldn't be allowed to, so he'd be uh, he'd be limiting his post USC career, I think, if he came back, and and for no certitude whatsoever that uh, the same coaches, you know, that didn't pick him last year, and some of the same coaches who didn't pick him this year, uh, and had him on the you know the bottom of the depth chart. Um, what are his opportunities, uh, you know, as a result of that? So, so I don't think uh, I don't. I don't think Jack Sears changes his thinking at all. There isn't a reason for him or the coaches. I mean, they made their call, and USC is going to have to, you know, get through with two uh, scholarship quarterbacks, and that's just the way it worked out. I know. I try to remember what's uh, the first question. From uh, it was about. The, uh, uh, he says we should run the ball more because our backs look really good, and it sets up the pass instead of this modified air raid offense. I thought they ran it just right. I thought that was, uh, I thought they ran it, you know, I, I don't know that you want to run anymore. I think what I think is the air raid really helps the run. The wider splits, the fact that people have to defend the pass, I think allows them to run the ball. If you become a run first team, I just don't see this team constituted, um, you know, physically and skill set wise between the offensive line and uh and everything else uh to be able to be a run first team and i don't think he can change in the middle of the season uh this is who they are they ran it pretty well i think you just keep uh going with that i think stephen carr looks like he's got his burst pretty much back i think by uh with all the things we you think he's going to be he's a power runner he's a smart runner 
Uh, he's a finesse runner. He can pick his spots. And uh, he, uh, when he got an open uh, lane, he really took advantage of it. I don't think we, th- we saw them throw the ball to the running backs nearly as much as, uh, as we expected. And I don't know if that's part of the, you know, quote, unquote, sandbagging or not. But uh, I think that might be one, uh, one way you get the ball in their hands more uh, when they're in space and, uh, and use their, you know, use their skill set. But uh, uh, I, think they did a, I think they did a really nice job with the running backs, and I don't know that they need to change that approach. I think they've got to get the air raid right now with a quarterback that they're convinced uh, can run it. I don't think they ran the air raid right uh after a couple of series i mean can we get into that a little bit further dan what did you see from the second half it just felt like they kind of just clammed up a little bit with keaton after he threw that that interception yeah i mean i didn't think they went uh tempo i don't think they you know uh, brett neal was telling us that the big advantage we're going to have is we run to the football after every single uh play we you know we beat the defense to the football we're going to wear them out I thought it turned out the other way around that you, that Fresno State looked like they kind of wore USC down. I didn't get the sense that that there was the same you know sense about the air raid, and I just thought that was two quarters where you've got a freshman coming in who's going to have a series of no, nothing but tough games, one after another after another. And by then, you were pretty sure JT Daniels is not coming back. So at that point, I just think you start with Keaton and you say we're going to. We're going to run the air raid just the way we run it in practice. We're going to run it. We're going to run it the way we ran it to start the game. We're not changing anything. Uh, we're going to get, uh, all of those receivers into the game, uh, a number of whom ended up, you know, watching mostly their first game. So they don't have any experience coming out of that game either. So I didn't think they needed to change anything. And it looked like they did change according to the, you know, circumstances, which, um, uh, is not what they said they were going to do or who they were going to be. We have an email from Bearsecutor. He says, Dan, the growing consensus prognostication, 8-4, and four, makes your prediction 10-2 and two, look optimistic. But more to the point, what is a successful season and all that success would imply? 9-3 and three would seem plausible as well as it lends itself uh, unless Notre Dame and the entire Pac-12 suck. However, I would argue that 8-4 and four simply doesn't cut it. Now, that would imply a loss to either UCLA and or Stanford, and Kelly and Shaw do not have strong teams this year. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I know Ryan asked me uh, right before, would I go 10-2? And I, I said I, I kept with 10-2 because that's what I had said at the end of fall camp. I probably would not have. Uh, I, I would have 9-3 and three probably would have been the, the smart call at that point. And that's before, uh, losing JT. So, uh, so I think, you know, I, and again, it's not just the numbers. It's not just the one loss. It's how you play. Do you get better? Do you get worse? And last year, they always, uh, they got worse. Do the kids want to play? Do they want to do what you want them to do? Do you want them to do the right thing? All of those things, I think, are, you know, factor into whether it's a successful season or not. But I think they still can be competitive, but they got to come out and play defense way differently than they did. They've got to do the things they said they were going to do with the athletes they've got on defense, and they've got to distribute the ball in the air raid exactly the way that they were going to do it with JT. I don't think anything can change at this point, and we saw that it did in game one. It can't game two, game three. They just, I mean, they certainly can and maybe should win the next two games, but not playing the way they did, uh, you know, against Fresno. But, 
But I think you can build a little momentum and feel like you've got something going if your freshman quarterback comes in and, and you don't take a big step backwards. Uh, I think the opportunity is still there. But uh, take a step backwards. I mean, if the second half represents how they are going to be going forward, that's not a successful season. The numbers won't you know, do you any good at the end of the year, but neither will uh, just that approach to the game. So we'll see. Do they have enough guts? Do they have enough just say, hey, we're going to go all out, we're going to practice hard, we're going to play hard, and we're going to just whatever happens, happens. But we're going to trust our players to be good enough. We're going to trust our coaches to get it right. And it didn't look like there was all that kind of trust, that they were kind of pulling things in and saying, well, maybe we can get to the end of the game and we'll still be ahead. Nah, you can't, can't play like that. So, so anyway, yeah, I'd probably adjust. <laughs> I would probably adjust going more toward uh, Ryan's uh, Ryan's direction for sure. Is that it? Uh, we have one more, and it's oh. from Erlen in West LA. Which an interesting question. It's not really related, but it's related. He said the 2019 season outlook in the USC media guide lists walk-on quarterback Trevor Scully as a redshirt freshman. How is this possible? Don't you have to be on scholarship to have a redshirt year? No, no, you don't. No, you could be a walk-on. Uh, you can be, you can be a walk on and, uh, and not play or play four games or fewer and you can still, you know, be a red shirt. So no, no, uh, I, I don't know if any of the, well, uh, Quincy Jonte is a red shirt yeah. is a walk on mm-hmm. and he's, uh, well, now he's he earned a scholarship, yeah. you know, but he, he got to be a red shirt before he got to be a scholarship kid. True. So, uh, so yeah, you can absolutely, uh, there's no connection between red shirt and scholarship. Yeah, like walk-ons can't come in and just play for eight years. Like they have the same rules. So, <laughs> same yeah. eligibility. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one last thing from me, oh. Dan, uh, and this is something I think yeah. we want to ask Clay Helton maybe at practice today. I'll get both of your thoughts on this. So, you lose JT Daniels. Do you think Clay Helton's going to say his expectations for this season have now changed because you don't have your starting quarterback? What do you think, Dan? I think he will not say that they've changed. And I don't think he should say that they've changed. Uh, they were you know, just adamant about the interchangeability uh, of actually all four quarterbacks. Uh, now they're, they're just two. But uh, uh, they were very uh, strong in saying that. And there's a little evidence to prove that, you know, Graham – has been able to, I guess he went through three quarterbacks with injuries and a couple of really, uh, you know, little regarded guys who did a really, really pretty good job at North Texas. Um, so he's had a history of having to do this, but how that second half developed, you don't think that's how North Texas played with their backup two quarterbacks when they came in. My sense was they kept playing the, the way they were always playing that they didn't change uh how the air raid went i mean he had the year he had running good running backs he ran them uh 48 of the time so so that could you know still be part of his offense but i think they have to run the air raid and it has to look like the air raid i mean we didn't see almost any of those crossing patterns and all the kinds of things that that you know throwing the ball to the halfbacks and, and we just didn't see that and um 
I think we need to see all of that and they've got to have all of it ready and they, they can't, you know, say, well, we can't do this or we can't do that. If they say that, you know, I think it's over. Yeah. Keely. I think based on what Dan said, based on how Clay Helton advertised the quarterbacks during the competition of, you know, we have four guys who could step in and run this offense. I don't think you can go back on that and then say, yeah, with our backup who we voluntarily named, as a true freshman, no, I don't know if he can do this. I think our expectations change. I don't think you can say that. And granted, with how Clay Hilton was adamant about the fourth and one call and how he trusts his players, I don't think he's going to turn around and be like, no, actually, I don't think Keaton will lead us to the promised land this season, you know, in that sense. So I just don't see him changing his his outlook. Now, are they going to give Keaton a full opportunity to run this? Are they going to get scared and kind of take things away from him? I don't know. And that's what I'm really curious to see going forward. Yeah. No, I agree well, and, with you guys. And I will, yeah. And I will say this. When they named the quarterback depth chart, I mean, I was like the bad guy who kept saying to them, what happens if JT goes down right away? Because I know you really think that working with Keaton for a whole year and he's really going to be able to be developed and brought on. But what happens if it happens right away? Is that depth chart still holding? And are, you know, in favor of two guys who have stepped in, have done well stepping in. Um, and it was like, I was the first one that brought that to their attention, that they hadn't really focused on what happened with an early season injury that knocks JT out. It was like, oh, well, that's our depth chart. We'll just, I guess, stay with it. I would have liked to have had them think a little bit more through that depth chart with the possibility that your quarterback could go down in game one. Yeah. And I'm not sure that happened. That's the weird thing is Dan and I were randomly on that. Like we talked about it in an instant for a while. Like what happens if JT goes down? Dan, to his credit, asked Graham Harrell and Clay Helton and they were just like, kind of like, why are you asking this? You know? Right, yeah. And it's just, that's why I was so curious about Sunday, whether or not they were going to go stick with Keaton is like, I can see a scenario where if you think Keaton's going to come in for garbage time reps or maybe a couple plays if JT gets his bell wrong, yeah, you name him the backup guy, but leading you to the next 11 games as a true freshman do you go with that i just that's why i was curious but they're sticking with them so we'll see yeah it's uh, to me and i agree with you guys 100 percent. you had quarterbacks on the roster with experience i don't think the true freshman thing is an excuse you're supposed to be plug and play you don't have there's just no time there's no grace period anymore like this is all borrowed time in my opinion anyway so Whatever it is, you've been given lemons, make freaking lemonade and figure out ways to win games. You still have the more talented team pretty much against everybody you face. So, uh, yeah, you're going to play a, a true freshman quarterback two years in a row. Has that even ever happened? I don't know. But that's it's rare. But those aren't excuses. I don't think expectations should fall. You got to win the Pac-12, you know, at least the Pac-12 South. So that I, it doesn't change to me. And I, I don't think Clay Helton can come out and say, anything different but it's yeah. there are some fans that are thinking like well now you have a freshman like no you don't have to have a freshman quarterback starting that's on you like you picked a freshman quarterback you had guys with experience and you said that this guy was better so if he's better than the dudes that have experience that you've actually got to train for a couple of years he better show it and you you know your system better you know showcase him and the team better win and that's that's my opinion it's like it doesn't matter like I, there's no excuses this year you just win I would say this, he's going to be 
he better be on a very short lease. JT was not on a short lease, nor should he have been. A true freshman quarterback, um, if you want to be like a baseball coach, there are times where for the pitcher's own good, you take him out of the game. I just think it's a different dynamic in terms of how, what kind of a leash is, uh, does your true freshman quarterback uh, have when you've got a Matt Fink who has stepped in. And, uh, and, and you know, he's a bigger, stronger uh, you know, guy. Uh, he executes this offense well. I mean, he was 18 of 22 in the two scrimmages. I mean, he wasn't, you know, he was, I mean, if you compare Matt Fink's numbers and Keaton Slovis' numbers in the two scrimmages, they're not even close. Matt Fink was far more productive. I mean, that's probably the kind of thing that drives, you know, a Matt Fink really is tough to handle is he threw for more touchdowns, ran for a touchdown, completed more passes. I mean, he was 10 for 10 in one scrimmage. Yeah. That's pretty good. So, I mean, I wouldn't be, hesitate to go with Matt Fink at all, but uh, it's going to be an interesting test. So, so I think this is one of those ones where I don't think you get a pass at all because you're going with a, a freshman quarterback who you picked. I don't think, I don't think there's any pass for right. the coach at all here. It's got to work. Yep. All right. Well, I guess it's going to wrap it up. Uh, we'll see you guys out of practice a little bit later. Yep. Uh, Keely and I actually have a little fun thing tonight. We're going to. I'm excited. Yeah. What is it? Uh, sports business class? What it's is it? Intro Medi- to sports media, I believe. Intro to sports media. Yeah. Jeff Ellinger. He's a, he's a professor at USC. We all, he's a, he's a great guy. We always around. Yeah, he's super great. You, you took his classes when you were in school, I right? I took two of his classes and one of them was with Sam Darnold, which was funny. It nice. was during the, the Rose Bowl year. So that was always interesting coming right. back to class on Monday and, and Fellinger would always ask his opinion, like, what do you see? What happened? So it was interesting. Nice. Uh, but Keely and I will be speaking at the class tonight. So it should be fun. Yeah. Uh, Good time. Uh, Dan, we'll see you out there practice. Thanks for coming on. That'll be good. Uh, no signing autographs, Kelly. Uh, uh, I know everybody that you're going to be introduced is this is the, the student everybody wants to be like. No, and, I, uh, I would think that's probably true. No, I yeah. doubt it. If I know college students, they're going to be on their computers, not even paying attention to us. So <laughs> Usually, the last couple of times I've done it there, I mean, you get some questions. There's some people that are like, this isn't really interesting. And other people are like really into it. But I think my ego, Dan, is going to take a hit if like everyone's talking to Keely and not me. <laughs> They're so. not going to do that. That's, yeah. You're the Ryan Abraham. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go wrap it up. Keely, you're Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com for all of our content, plus the rest of the squad. We do appreciate you tuning in and listening to our little show. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 